Well, I just want to say that um, from the prayer that I was, I prayed to open this meeting, you will recognize that I've said quite a voluminous thing. This 28th anniversary, it is a season that we have never seen in Christ's tabernacle. It is a season that we have never seen, though God has been speaking to us about it. And I am very convinced that it is the most significant anniversary that this church ever had. And I'll give you evidences about that. In 1984, the Lord Jesus appeared to me, brought me back into England in that encounter, and showed me the revival that is coming through this house. Everyone that God has called to be a pioneer must be able, must have vision from God. It must have instruction from God, what God is sending him for. Why should another church spring up if other churches have the same mandate? God will never do that. The reason why God will spring up another movement is because there is a mandate which is different and distinct from other mandates of the other people. As all churches have the same mandate to win souls for Christ, God ordains people in each generation for different purposes. Like it is quite very interesting, I can talk about this. Billy Graham, who died just this month, who had lived over decades, we discovered that in 2004, uh, 2006, uh, no, 1906, a move began on earth. And then there was war in 17. The move that began on earth in 1906 was the move of Christians who have been Christians in the Orthodox churches who came from the offspring of the Reformation began to feel that holiness is being trampled underfoot. And so they had this urge for holiness. And so they began to read the Bible and began to teach people about holiness. And that movement, like a spark of a fire, began to grow. And then after some time, it grew. And the Asuda Street uh, Revival started, where people were gathered together. They were praying to God and asking for mercy and crying out for holiness. And then the Lord visited. And they saw fire on the roof, physical fire. And the firemen were called. And the firemen ran. As the fire was visible, they got to the building, and when they got to the building, though the fire was on the roof, they entered the building, everybody was on the floor. Total silence. No smoke in the, in the building. Because they came in to evacuate. <clears throat> they came out again and saw the whole roof in fire. This is not a, it's not a fiction. This is what happened to our dispensation. And so, they came in, and the power of God hit all the firemen, went on the floor, and began to cry for mercy. That is what brought the revival that gave back to Billy Graham, that gave back to Kenneth Hagin, that gave back to T.L. Osborne, that gave back to Catherine Coleman, and all, uh, t- uh, um, 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 uh, you know, all those big shots who became the pioneer of the move. Now if you look at their work, 
is on um, holiness. But if you look at the church that came out of them, at the time, the first offspring of that move, like T.L. Osborne, Billy Graham, and, and Kenneth Hagin, and the rest of them, G. Lake and stuff, they, they, they are, they are, they are, they are uh, foundation is holiness. The pedestal of their standing is the power of God. But when that generation gave birth to another generation, they had caught up with the church. And a lot of doctrines started coming up from these late people who came out of the third generation, fourth generation, fifth generation. And I remember that Kenneth Hagin, Pai Hagin, one day in the conference, rebuked all of them preaching prosperity and said the Lord Jesus told him that he did not send them to preach prosperity. They quailed down, quieted down for a while, and then they went back into it. Now, every reformation in church history is necessary when the enemy takes the current uh, 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 position of the church. And you will see that every reformation came by that. Now, that revival that was in America also happened in Nigeria without any connection. 1906, God raised a man called Ishishinadi. At the same time, he raised uh, uh, Pastor Simon. And Ishishinadi was used by God to preach holiness. And then in 1917, that was in Lagos. And in 1917, another group of people gathered under a man called Pastor D.O. Odubanjo. I came out of that offspring. That's why I know the history. That is the man who carried me as a baby and blessed me. Together with his cohorts. And they, they in 1918, the group of they had about the group in Benin City of Odubanjo. And they came together. And they formed the first movement called the Fake Tabernacle. They called themselves Fake Tabernacle because... Any African organization needed a white umbrella, an umbrella of, you know, a white organization. That is English or America. So they read about the faith tabernacle in America, and they believed that they had the same thing in common. So they adopted the name faith tabernacle. But then the man who headed the faith tabernacle in America impregnated a woman, committed adultery. And so in 1919, uh, 19, 1920, and so they decided to withdraw. And then they were looking for what shall we call ourselves? And then they called, they heard about Apostle D.V. Williams from Bradford in England. And when they got to Apostle D.V., they contacted Apostle D.V. Williams from Bradford in England. Apostle D.V. Williams sent two pastors. One of them is called Pastor Pierce, and the other one is called Pastor Perfect. And these two pastors came into Nigeria haven't been bearing, now they are bearing apostolic movements in, in, in affiliation with the UK. And then they came, in, they came into Nigeria in, in uh, 1923. And in 1924, Pastor Perfect contacted malaria fever. And when he contacted malaria fever, he decided to use quinine. And then the group who, was, who were afraid tabernacle, now apostolic movement, now decided that we cannot do that because 
pedestal of preaching is divine healing. They preach divine healing. And in those days, a lot of witch doctors get converted. And they said, how could we allow us to use a white man's medicine and obsolete, you know, our native medicine? That if we are teaching faith, let us just stand by faith in the Lord. And that is what brought the breaking away of the apostolic church from the Christ apostolic church. At that time, those who decided that, no, white man's medicine is not bad, they followed the apostolic movement, and they became the apostolic church in Nigeria. But the other group who refused, God raised a man at that time, I think in 1923, called Joseph Ayobabalola, who was a truck, he was a bulldozer driver. And in his encounter, as he was driving his bulldozer, his bulldozer broke down. So, and he was an expert in repairing bulldozers and, and tractors and stuff. So he got under it, did every test, and nothing works. But everything was perfect. And he began to inquire, what is going on here? Then the Lord spoke to him. And he received the call. And having received the call, the Lord told him the address he should go in Lagos, where he had never been before. Just like I read to you yesterday in the book of Acts 13. He received the names of the people in Lagos, the address. And the people in Lagos have been praying for revival. And they were praying that God should raise a revivalist. Because they have the knowledge that everybody is called for specific functions and purposes. They are administrators. Pastor Dio Odubanjo, who now became the president, he was an OB as early as 1917. Very highly educated man. He was in charge of the police force in Nigeria. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Bumi is granddaughter of this man. And then they were praying that God would raise an apostle. And then the Lord raised Babalola, who the Lord gave the address of where they are meeting in Lagos. And he came to Lagos at the age of 24 and met with them. When he got there, they did not accept him because their doctrine is apostolic church. All their doctrine is based on apostolic church. And so they said they would not accept him as the God sent unless God speaks to all of them. All of them hear from God. <clears throat> so, they said they were going to pray. But Pastor Dubanjo, the Lord has spoken to him. And he has received this younger man. But the rest of the team said they must hear from God. Because that is the, uh, the system of the book of Acts. And so, he, he started serving Pastor Dubanjo. He will carry, Babala will carry his briefcase and all stuff like that. And he was shining with Babalola. Babalola was telling him his encounters and all stuff like that. And then they came in a few days later. And while they came in a few days later, Babalola was sitting down at the door while they were holding the council meeting up to decide about him. And a madman broke loose from the marketplace, fully armed, total naked. And he started running after people to behead them. And everybody took on their heels. And Babalola came out. And still, he's a tall man. And people ran past him. And the madman shot towards Babalola. 
And people would say, you this young boy, run for your life, run for your life. He was looking at the madman. When the madman got to him, he said, you are not mad. Give me your weapons. And the madman surrendered his weapon and knelt down before him. And everybody stood. And questioning, who is this young man? And he laid hands on him. And he was healed. And he brought him up. And took him to sit down. So, the council upstairs heard about the noise. Downstairs. And they came down, what is going on here? And they said, are you the fathers of this young man? This is not a human being. Look at this madman. Everybody knows this madman here. When he breaks violence, nobody can stop him. But this young man just collected the arms from him, and he's okay, he's healed. So, they asked questions from Babalala, and he said to them that this, they said the man was mad, and I told him that he's not mad, and he was healed. And then, the elders went back up, and then Paul Duban just said, what evidence do you people need from the Lord now? And that was what made all of them agree that he was sent of God. And then they called him into the council. I believe God is making me say these things because you need to know where I hail from. If you look at where the root I come from, you will understand what is behind my behavior. Now, why should CFT be called? That's what I'm talking about. Now, by the intervention or by the reason of Abba he began to do revival, crusade, and God was healing people. But 1930 was the year God launched him out, a crusade that he did in Ibadan. And that crusade he did in Ibadan exploded across Nigeria. That man alone went from, the, 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 from Lagos to Kano and Sokoto. He does not go to crusade with people. He will tell his, his, his disciples to, you know, wait, I'm coming. He will walk out of the building, like in London, walk out of that street. When he walks out, before the disciples will run and they will look for him, they can't find him. He had disappeared physically. And now they will hear that he is in Glasgow. A journey that will take about 24 hours to get. They will start running all over. The second day they meet up with him, the whole of Glasgow has been turned upside down. And people were giving their lives to Christ in their multitude. He will enter into a village. Before he leaves the village, there will be no idol standing. Because all idols will be burned to ashes. They will bring them mountain piles of idols and burn them to ashes. He does not work by committee. But when God raised that man and he was moving in the power of the Most High, the Odubanjo, who are the administrators, they were highly educated. They will gather the people, arrange discipleship training course for them, appoint a pastor, build the pastoral school, and that is how Christ's apostolic church began and spread. Of course, between 2006, in 1926 to 1930, the movements juggled names from Apostolic Church to African Apostolic Church to some other names. 
until God gave Babalola the name Christ Apostolic Church. Now, let me help you understand this. Why should Christ with Tabernacle be called? Or who is Christ with Tabernacle? I was born in the church through the prayers of Apostle Joseph Ayababalala and Pastor Dio Odubanjo. My mother was a priestess of Baal and my father was a wizard priest. They call it Alanjon. Those of you who are in England, he was higher than the 42nd level of Mason. He was higher than a grandmaster. And he was involved with the Hitler war without leaving Nigeria physically through his demonic powers. He told me many things about the war of Hitler while he was with the, with the, in the occultic world. But the time came that the Lord war, you know, called for them. The story of that, you have it in my DVD that is downstairs if you want all the details is there. But because I want to teach you today, I just want to summarize and go into YCFT Church. And so, my father and my mother was brought into CSC Church. The Lord, the, the Lord used the devil to show them the church. It is, it is Satan who showed my father the church. And he said that the God Almighty bind me. That is where you will find him. My father went to the church. He got born again. I took a little bit about him yesterday. I was born in the church out of a barren womb of 13 years. My mother was barren for 13 years. In the 15th year, I was born. My, my sister was born and then I was born. Now, I was said that I was born in the church, not in the hospital. The first language I had when I came out of my mother's womb was praying in tongues. Those who raised me are people who saw the Lord face to face. The way I was raised is that if you will serve God, not just as a messenger now, as a Christian, you must serve Him to the place where you can see. You cannot say you are a Christian, you can't hear, you can't see, and you can't know. Though the knowledge of the world is lesser than what we have now because of our intellectual integration. But yet, they truly know the living God. And so I was brought up among people who saw angels. I was brought up among people who hear God and speak God and they happen. But I grew among them, having God spoken about before I was conceived. The prophets came to my parents and said, that your son will be an apostle sent to England. And my mother said, if your God give me a son, I will give him back to be your God. Because as an idol worshiper, your first son belonged to your idol. And so, I was born. My name was pronounced before I was born. My sex was pronounced before my conception. And the mandate of heaven upon me was revealed before my mother ever conceived me. But born in the church, grew up in the church, I came to the knowledge of Christ myself and accepted Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And at a tender age, there are many mysteries surrounding my, my growing up from the age of three, four, really two, up, which I wouldn't speak about now. is in the book and in, in, in the video they have done. 
But I grew up to know the God of the Bible. And I grew up to know that there is no other church apart from the book of Acts. I grew up to know that anything that derogates from the, the principle of the book of Acts is not of God. I grew up to know that God already has established his church and he has formed this church. And he does not give anybody a different foundation or a different doctrine apart from the doctrine he established which was perpetrated by the people of Acts. I grew up as an intercessor from tender age of uh, seven or eight. And eventually I became a chorister too. And I served God in this capacity all my life up to today. I eventually grew to become a man and pursued science. Physics and mathematics was my passion. And that led me into land surveying and mapping sciences. Now, it was while I was in England, when I came to England in 1983, in 84, I discovered that I needed a scholarship from the British Council so that I can pursue my survey career to do PhD in remote sensing and satellite geodesy, which was my passion. And then the Lord Jesus appeared to me in February 84. Now when Jesus appeared to me, and he said to me, Son, go now and start the work. And he held in his hand the bishop's robes. And I told him that I do not. I'm not a minister. I'm a land surveyor. And he said, what you do first, you now do last. Now when the Lord said that to me, I discovered that my passion for life shifted. He took me in his hands and we flew over the skies because we were in Nigeria at the time. We flew over the skies and came to London. And I saw people coming to the Lord in their millions. It is not a denominational thing that God is sending us. It is a libration for harvest. God is raised Christ as a barnacle to the mandate of Christ of Anarcho is to take over nations, enforce Christ, and dislodge the devil. That is our mandate. Everyone that says God has called him to lead the people must be able to tell his people his mandate. We are mandated to enter territories and recover the land and the people back to their maker at no cost. That is our mandate. If that is our mandate, therefore, in life what I've been teaching you about destiny, every human being that God will bring here and establish here has been wired for that. If you see anybody who come here, they can't stay here, I have no problem with them. It is because they have not been wired for that. They have to go to wherever they belong. God does not need thousands and millions to achieve global takeover. Only twelve. He trained. And the twelve became like him. So the important thing for you is that, one, you know what God sent us, why God called us. Number two, you know. You know why God called us. And number two, you know your role in what God has called us. CFT therefore is not a church where Satan intimidates anybody. If you belong to this family, you have passed that barrier. 
but you have to listen to what I tell you. It's not a place where we talk of demons because we are past that level. We talk about angels. We talk about heaven. We talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who still reveals himself to mortal man till today. If you look at the way Christ the Tabernacle has started, you will discover that my life is not different from the lives of the pioneers of Christ's apostolic church. The pioneers. We see, we hear, and we move. And that's the reason why most times I talk to you as and the Lord said this to me, really this very week that we are, the reason why I told you that is the most significant for CFT. This is the most significant year. It's because the beginning of this church, the Lord Jesus spoke to me in the open vision. When this church was beginning in 1999, the Lord just said, showed me a vision of a building which we do not know. I told the members, they said they know the place. It's New Crossroad. The Lord showed me New Crossroad. There is a New Crossroad that is in this building. They are good. This, this weekend, meet me there on Sunday. And we went to a building we don't know, people we don't know. And we were there at 2 p.m. on that day, and we started church there. This church was not launched by any man but by the Lord himself. We possess the building we, we, we know not, according to the scriptures. And all the time in this church, you have heard me say, this is what God is saying, till last Sunday, when the Lord said that, this week is my week, I will visit my covenant with you. And the Lord said that I'll be, there will be a shift in your weather, and that will be a sign for what I have promised you. Now we did not know that after the Lord spoke to us, few hours after, about six or seven hours after, the, weather, the first weatherman came and said there is, a, there, is a, there is a storm coming from Siberia, heading towards England. When God spoke to us, then he released the storehouse of snow. Hallelujah. I got the book of Jacob, uh, Jojo. And he said there's a storm coming. And he said the storm will hit England by tomorrow and we will see the effect throughout this week. And then he said, this week will be the coldest week ever. Now, the Lord spoke to us. Really, when the Lord spoke it through me and I heard it, I thought that, um, Lord, it's going to be comfortable for us. I didn't know that what God was saying is that I'm sending the snow. Now, Britain don't know why this weather come. But Christ with Tabernacle, no. Because God had told Christ with Tabernacle, the weather will shift and that will be a sign. It will be a sign. So, it is not what man can stop. And I began to inquire furthermore, why would you God do this? I expected that because of snow, it would affect our attendance. But it did not. It did not. And the Lord began to tell me, why would it be a sign? A sign is a symbol that points to an end or to an information. And the Lord told me, as I send the snow from his storehouse, and the effect is felt immediately over United Kingdom, over Europe, the news has gone to the ends of the earth. So will I visit my people, Christ with Tabernacle. It will be like a storm. It will be suddenly 
foundations of nations will shake because of the manifestation of the power and purity that will come thereafter. Yes. Children on the streets will lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. Yes. The gospel will be taken out of the building again and it shall go to the streets of nations. Just as Jesus walked in the nation on the streets and got the blind man see Bartimaeus, so CFT shall be a sign unto the Lord. Yes. This is the reason why every one of us who, have, who belong to this house, either by being a member or by um, affiliation, which is the prophetic voice ministry, must know that we have a mandate different from any church. That's the reason why what has been going on over the whole world, you know, Oh, ministers are doing crusades all over the place. They are shouting names of this and names of that. It doesn't move me. <laughs> it doesn't move me. Oh, come and join us so that we can, we can, you, you'll be known. You, I don't want to be known. Oh, this group are meeting together. You know, all the ministers are gathering. They want to, no, I don't want to be there. Because there are many voices that speak on earth. But there is only one voice that speaks from heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. I have learned to know that I, it is better and more secured with the Creator than to put my confidence in the created. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have come to know a friend who can never deny his friendship. I have come to know a God who has ordained destiny before sending mortal men. And I've got to know that God who is so excellent in his operation that he has timing for everything. And divine timing cannot be hastened up. It can only be worked into. Therefore, I say to you, welcome to the fulfillment of destiny. Because of this, I will teach you, I will be teaching you today on how to run a church debt-free and enjoying plenty during farming. But this time, that is CFT, you know, church project on financing. But before we go to there, to that one, I think I should, call, I should teach you this morning about your calling. Because the, the, the revelation that I'm giving you and this discussion is talking about the fact that we are in a season that heaven had marked out. I know for Christ the tabernacle, a mandate to shake the heavens and the earth through his glorious church on earth. I'm not the only one I believe because my jurisdiction starts from the UK. But I'm sure that God has others that he has ordained from other, other nations and continents. But let me say this to you. As the era of prosperity sprang all over the whole world and a gang of prosperity preachers gathered. And you know them. Deliverance came up again brought by the devil. Or adulterated by the devil, I would say. And then it spread up all over. And people 
who are part of it associated themselves. So a new move is about to begin. Really, it has begun. <laughs> this is the move of Christ. Where people will operate exactly like Christ. <laughs> and there will be no difference between them and Jesus. And God will bring us all together. All the world. Our message shall be one. Our heart shall be one. Because our destiny is one. Now, I'll teach you on calling. Calling. It is necessary for us to know about calling in the Bible. During this week, we have gone through the Great Commission. And yesterday, I was when I was taking you through your role as a minister, one of the things I told you is that a minister must teach his people to spread the news. And I told you within my lecture on gifts and the spiritual offices and distinct that from administrative office. Ephesians 4, 7 and 11. And then we look into the book of Timothy and Titus to look at administrative offices. But this time, let's look at calling. I'll be very, very fast on this. I found out that I think the manual should be given to you on Friday. Because I want you to write down what you hear. If I give you a manual now, you won't take note of anything. In this lecture, we'll be looking into several significant areas about your calling. One, what is a calling? <clears throat> Two, who called you? Three, what are you called to do? Number three. Number four. Why are you called? Number five. Who are you sent to? Numbers, who are you sent to? Or to who are you sent? Yeah, who did God send you to? Send you to. Number six, where is your Jerusalem? What is your base? Because before a person can launch out for any business, you must have a base. How do you determine your base? Number seven, seven things you need to know about your calling. 
so that you can fulfill your calling. Therefore, seven things you need to know about your calling. Having written all this down, all these things I've given you will be dealt with in the lecture about your calling. The first important thing is this. Every Christian is called by Jesus to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And that I, I say, there are two great callings. Two great callings. The first calling is what is called the Great Commission. We call him Christianly acceptable as the Great Commission. And the second one, I call that specific calling, which is ministry calling. The Great Commission, I call it the general calling. You have the general calling, you have the specific calling. The general calling is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-19. And the specific calling is the ministry calling, Ephesians 4, 7, 11-15. Can you move this out, please, this screen out? God, the pillar is covering it. Thank you so much. Just a little bit. Further? Good. All right. Now, you have two callings. The general calling and then the specific calling. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Let's look at the general calling. It says... Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given. When we read the scriptures, I've told you throughout this week, in my interpreting the scriptures or applying the scriptures, I'm teaching you how to understand the scripture. There is something in law that is called lexphory. That is the language in which the law is written. And to understand a letter or a writing, you must understand the lexphory. That is, you must understand the words that is put together to make a meaning. If you cannot define the words put together, that's why the key words they call, your understanding of the writing is vague. And I think if I put on the law cap, your understanding, therefore, being vague, when an understanding is vague, it creates a lacuna. And the lacuna gives rise to what is called a quagmire. <laughs> Let me explain myself. Because all of you doctors, all of you uh, engineers, all of you psychologists, all of you biologists, all of you businessmen, I wait for you in the court of law. <laughs> now, let us examine this. This 
doctrine is from the scripture. A lacuna is a gap that is unfilled. When any statement is made vague, you put your reader into a lacuna. That is a space, a void, a, a vacuum that he cannot really understand. So, your statement therefore is subject to anybody's interpretation. Now, lacuna gives back to quagmire. Quagmire is a sinking sand. A land that is not stable. A land you can stand on and you sink in. So therefore, anybody who works with a vague information will always be marching in one spot because you can move forward. So, information therefore should be defined, maybe qualified and clear. So that anyone who reads it will understand. If you are writing, you know, intellectual letters and stuff. If you are, if you are writing like a dissertation and stuff. If you are too intellectual, common man can understand it. Whereas common man, you would understand what you're saying. Without losing your technicality. Same thing with the Bible. The Bible is written by the Spirit. Behind the Bible is the mind of the writer. For mortal man to read it, you cannot know it through theology. Because it's human intellect. Why theology can help you to position you in a better place to understand the scripture. Okay? In the sense that it equips your spiritual to be able to analyze. That is, you like to apply it so. But when you read the Bible, and you just assume that you know it. It is the fundamental of all errors today in Christianity. So we look at this scripture critically, from a critical mind. It says, then Jesus said, came to them and said, All authorities had been given, and that's the statement, had been given. So, all authorities, number one, had been given. Which means there is no more authority that could be given that has not been given. Are you with me now? Let this inform your mind as I take you away. Take you through. The reason why you have a lot of mess in the church that people are afraid of this, afraid of that, because they don't understand the scriptures. If you can't understand the scripture, you cannot understand the God who wrote it. Because you cannot understand his mind while he was writing it. For a man to come into you and say that, look, this man is coming to give you an assignment or a commission or send you to do a job. And he says, look, I have all authority over the nation. Okay? He, that's what he's saying to you. But he wants to send you to that nation. And he's first saying to you that, look, I control everything there. I am not called the president. But no authority in that nation operates without me. Then he said, now you go. I now gave you a description, a job description, and he empowered you. Can you be afraid of the president or the parliament of that nation? No. If anybody tries to obstruct you, you just refer them back to the one who gave you the authority. Really, the fact is that you are the authority over all authorities of that nation. Christians need to know this first. They need to know this first. Jesus says, 
all authority had been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, by virtue of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm interested in in this scripture is just saying. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. Therefore, go. Now, which means that, the word therefore means, because all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me, that gave rise to your authority to operate. Your authority to operate is arising from the authority that has been given to Jesus. In other words, Jesus took the authority from the Father. He gave it to you. That's all. That's all. Which means that it is a wrong doctrine for a Christian to be fasting because he's going to do crucifixion. Fasting for what? Well, if you are wayward, you need to fast to cleanse yourself. Yes, if you want to go to the devil, and you know you also are part of the devil operation, you need to go and obtain mercy first. And repent. If that's why you are fasting, that's understandable. But for a Christian to say that, I'm going to preach, you are going on the streets to preach, you don't fast. Then you are going to a place where they worship devil, and they are all violent, and they are all gangsters. I say, you need to fast for that. Can you understand what I'm saying? Somebody in the bus you talk to, you don't fast. But when you are going to Stonehenge, for instance, oh, that's why the witches hold their meeting. We need to, to intercede and fast. For who? For what? That attitude demeans the authority of God. Because the moment you have such mentality, what you are saying is that Jesus really doesn't have all authority. I need to acquire some authority by my activity of fasting. And that's why it doesn't work for all who do it. To take over the world, somebody are taking it over and giving you the key. Just open the doors. Listen to me. A person who has authority, can he fear the devil or demons? No, demons fear you because of what you carry. Devil fear you because of what you carry. You cannot give any credence to an evil spirit. It is demeaning. This I'm teaching you and I've done it. I've taken you guys to the place. When they send a bird to kill me, wicked people, it was in your eyes I commanded the bird to come down dead and it was it flew down life out of him. Did we fast? Because our authority arises from his authority. And the only thing we need to know to operate that authority is to know first who has the authority and to have faith in the one who has the authority. And that's the scripture. Therefore, go. Who should go? All Christians. What should you do? Job decision. Make disciples. That's all. And then, teaching disciples to obey Jesus. Not to obey Moses. Are we together now? And then, if you do that, Jesus underscore it by saying, and lo, I'm with you. So it means if you fail in any of the duties on the top, he can't be with you. Okay? Teach your people. When Jesus came, they said, what a new teaching. People hear my voice across the globe on television and say, what a new teaching. But this is the real teaching. 
Because I'm not teaching you what I've not done. I'm teaching you what I've done. And I've taken some of you to go and do it. Second is this specific calling. Ephesians 4, 7. It says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now understand. Then verse 11. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And verse, verse um, 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built then until we all reach Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become matured, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the next to our place. Then we will no longer be tossed to back and front forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of men in deceitful scheming. Come on now. I think this covers some things we did with Twitter yesterday, isn't it? <laughs> don't, don't, don't be shocked when you see lying ministers who would say to you that, well, God is saying to me that, you know, you know, tell people here I should give X amount. Or, you know, they, they tell you to pray some money and they'll give you a prophecy. Hallelujah. The Bible says that they will be there, isn't it? But then the Bible says about you too who will preach righteousness and you'll be there. So we cannot exaggerate crafty men. Let us celebrate righteous people. Let me help you understand the scriptures. Now the first introduction of it is verse 7. What does it say? It says, to each one of us, grace has been given. You remember the lecture of grace yesterday? Grace is given, mercy is obtained. (laughs) Hallelujah. But what interests me in this is the, the, the word of the letter, the word that composed the statement. But, beginning, when the Bible uses the word but, it means that there is a controversy that needs to be cleared. That this is not just for one person, this is for everybody. But to each one of you. I would not want to interpret the word each one in law because that can take me an exegesis of an hour or two. But if you look at the word each one in a group of, let me say, a set of a group, it means every element that comprises the group. If, if I say to you now that we are going to have break time now, each one of you have a plate of rice. It means that it is impossible for one of you to get there and not find your own. Hmm? That is what each one, basic simple. No matter how much you apply. So it means that what the Bible is about to say now, every Christian is talking to them. Yes, every member of your church, good, has been given again. So which means that before you are appointed, Christ has given you. Really, we discover that before you were sent to the earth, He has given it to you. 
But when you accept Jesus, you operate it. Okay? Because you remember in destiny, before I formed you in the womb, I appointed you. To be what? A prophet. So it means that calling is, it predates your conception. If Jeremiah did not succumb to God, though he was preordained by God, that preordination will never happen. Many people in the grave, they die without fulfilling destiny. This just says, has been given already, but then, he now qualified it and said, No, seven, please. As Christ apportioned it. That is the qualification. When a statement is made and is qualified, that qualification determines its perimeter or boundary. All right? The jurisdiction. This tells you that the grace that Jesus gives has portions. So, when we look at the grace now, the Lord called you to a pastoring. There are several levels in pastoral office. You come in at a particular level according to grace. Let's say seven levels. God calls someone into a fifth level. Another one he calls him is a pastor, but he calls him to second level. Alright? So the one he calls to second level, and the one he calls to the fifth level, when both of them operate, you will see distinction. Because the one that he called to second level has to work his way up by learning the scriptures. But the one he calls to the fifth level, he knows all those level one, level two, level three, level four. Just like that. Not because he learned it, but he was called into it. He was equipped for it. He was wired to do it. That's the reason why you can't compare one pastor in the church with another pastor. Everybody, grace has levels and portions. Do we get it now? That's why I told you, celebrate the grace that you find in anybody. So in this church, if I find you that you have a little grace, I will celebrate that grace, then I will appoint you to a higher work. I will use you in that grace for a while. I appoint you. Then when I ordain people in the church, you see when I call them for the nation, somebody will cry. He never expected that it will happen. And God is happy to see their cry. Because that cry is registering before the throne of God. I am not worthy, oh God. That's the heart God wants. That's why in CFT, we do not tell people we want to ordain them or appoint them. And they keep working. Because some places they will tell you they want to ordain you. That's then they go and kill cow. All the family will come. They will be celebrating. Only why? They are ordaining somebody as a dickiness. The whole land will not, be, will not have peace anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. The land will not have peace anymore. Do you know that I'm going to be ordained as a dickiness? What about you? Have you heard that I'm going to be ordained as a And then they will take cloth. I should be. And then they will go and bring drugs. Like doctor, call it Ashebi. Dr. Uzo. Oh my. So that, that's what that thing called. But in CFT, the Bible says that in the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 13, they were watching and passing. 
Nobody knew it. Nobody heard about it. Holy Spirit said, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas. As he's saying it, everybody's hearing it. They are hearing Okay? That's why you have to do that. Even if we ministers discuss it, the people don't know it. But this is what you need to know. Every member of the church belongs to one of these five groups. Okay? So, number 11, verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles. 11 tells us about the five areas of ministries. Apostolic ministry, prophetic ministry, pastoral ministry, teaching ministry, and evangelist ministry. Those five. Okay? So, every member belongs to each of the ministry. But not every member is a prophet. Not every member is a pastor. Not every member is an evangelist. Not every member is a teacher. Not every member is an apostle. But they will belong, each member will belong to each ministry. Because not everyone who works in the ministry of external affairs are cabinet ministers. But when God will appoint you and call you into the office, which is different from the ministry, the office is the one that oversees the ministry. God will call somebody who he had built within the ministry, who had been working according to the ministry. And then God graduates him, calls him. So, which means that we have a duty as ministers to equip our members so that they can recognize the area of the fivefold that they are called and use them a lot in it. Because from among them, God will call ministers. The principle of ministers is that it says, choose one who has been among us from the beginning. You must choose ministers who have been in Christendom. Somebody who just got born again five years, you can't make him a pastor. Because he has not served in the ministry. He does not know what pastoring is. I'm talking about salvation now. I'm not talking about church. It's possible for somebody who has been born again in one church and grown in that church and he moves area to another area and he goes to another church and that church saw the grace and they absorb them or they are now appointing. But somebody who just got saved three years, you are making him a pastor, is a recipe for disaster. Because it should still be, be under training at, as a disciple. So, it says there, five ministries exist. And five ministerial offices exist. Apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor. Look at the next one. That next one now tells us the purpose for which those ministries exist. What is the purpose? To prepare God's people for works of service. This is the reason why you cannot ordain a young, minister, a young convert as a minister. Because you don't get somebody who they just appoint to come and be the director of a ministry who hasn't worked there. He must work there, understand the system, 
if there is problem, he can sort it because he grew in it. He has served there for a time. It's not a honorary position. It is a functionary position. It says to prepare God's people for works of service. So the job of a prophet, an apostle, an teacher, an evangelist, and a pastor is to prepare God's people for works of service that God has prepared for them to do. So that the church can be built up. So if you're a pastor and you pastor people for three years and you don't have anyone among them who has graduated to be appointed to be a deacon or deaconess, you fail. You fail. I'll be teaching you on who will take over from you. A minister must have this in mind. If you pastor a church, if God removes you from there to another place, that church will run without you. Okay? If you are afraid for your church to run without you, alright? If you are afraid for your church to run without you, then what happened to you is that you are a failed minister. What about if, you know, in, uh, I, I love the Anglicans for this. They can send you on sabbatical leave. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sabbati. If you send you on sabbatical leave, to go and read more, so that you can better more. For one year, you won't come to church. So will your church not work? If your church cannot pray without you, then you have a lot of work to do. Because the gift you have is to prepare God's people so that they can serve. Also in the church, if you don't have enough hands, if you, what, what, how many people do you need minimum to prepare for service? Twelve. Because those, those are the, that, that's the number Jesus had. So if you, are a, if, you, if you pastor 12 people, the 12 should be able to do all the services needed in the church. So now, if you have more than 12 people, God is going to require, ask from you what you have done with them. Your heart is not to be the king of bedbug all your life, but to be the leader that raised other leaders. So that your vision can be fulfilled. Your vision cannot be fulfilled by you alone. Understand. Make your vision plain. Herald are the one who run. But if you are a local pastor, you are a local champion, God deliver you. I'm going to shake CFT shortly. I've moved pastors across the carpet. And you go and somebody else will pastor your church, you go to another church. Yeah, for a time. I will do that. I've had mine to do that for a long time, I've told you. But now, because this is the year, I will not do it now. I will do it now. So you know that the purpose of your calling is to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body can be built, your church can be built, and global body can be built. Now, aim, number the next one. Your aim is verse 13. Until we all reach the unity of faith, in the knowledge of who? Son of God, not of Moses. Not of the festivals of old. Not of the offerings of old. That is sacrifice I'm talking about. Until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of Son of God. You remember yesterday that we looked at the book of Hebrews 13 that you should show example in your life and faith as a minister. You should be example in your life and faith 
Isn't it? So, your teaching will incorporate your behavior and your words. Should build people to reach unity of faith. And what can bring them there is the knowledge of the Son of God. And become what? Matured. For a Christian to be mature, you need the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of Jesus is what mature a Christian. Not the story of Samson and Delilah. Though it's good for us to still teach them so that they know it's in the Bible and what you learn from it. The story of Elijah calling fire from heaven. We teach them so that they can be strong in faith. Let me say this to you. I said it and I'll say it again. Christians, have, the, the fire of God has, has received a lot of torture in the hands of Pentecostal Christians. Because they have been sending the fire to the devil, sending the fire to demons, sending the fire to the houses to burn down. But let me say something to you. Dev, demon and devil, already they are in fire. They are in fire. I think we should redirect the fire to ourselves. That the fire of God should burn me. Father God should purify me. Father God should sanctify me and cleanse me. I think we will do better. Yes. Satan is in fire. You don't send fire to the person already in fire. And if you send it, no problem. You only die to his fire. He's already in fire. Listen to me. We need to build the people who know Jesus Christ. Not the people who know all the Old Testament and they don't know anything about Jesus. That is what can mature them. And they will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, Old Testament does not teach how to, become, to live a righteous life. Because it gives you remedy for all your blunders. But New Testament said to you, one remedy has been made. And you have to live it now. You have to live that life. Are <laughs> we together? So it is New Testament doctrine which is on Christ. That can make people attain full measure. The full measure of Christ, knowledge of Christ, mature people, and they attain full measure. Then what will happen to a mature church? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Not like the church of Corinthians, who were infants for many years. And Paul said that, I, I, be, I give you bone, you can't crack. I give you flesh, you can't eat. You are infants. No wonder a boy was sleeping with his father's wife there. See, that's going to happen in the infant church. All manners of... They are clay. You remember yesterday? Burn them by fire. They remain the same. They are clay. So therefore, you no longer be told like infant. Tossed back and forth by waves of doctrine and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. When you see people, they hear one man, powerful man come or they leave your church. It's because you are not discipled and you haven't taught them well. People who are taught well... I remember one day one of the youth in this church saw one of the big television uh, stars teaching on television and he said some statement about Jesus Christ. He said Jesus had to be born again. And that, that, I was sitting with him. That young man said, lie! I said, you got it right. He is a liar. He is a liar. Not because people follow him. Thousands follow him. You can do anything to make people follow you. Especially lie and deceive. They follow you more. In this age. But they pay with their life. Blown to and fro. Every way of dog teaching. And by cunning craftiness of men. In their deceitful scheme. Now. 
15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is what? The head of is the head, that is Christ. Who is the head of the church? And the head of all principalities. Now, write this down. The three nuggets to remember. The Father sent Jesus, Father sent the Son, Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent me, Holy Ghost empowers me. Father sent Jesus, number one, Acts 10, 38. Jesus sent me, John 17, 18. The Holy Ghost empowers me, Acts 1, 8. I'll also write this down. The Great Commission is God's given mandate through Christ. That the ministry calling is God's given grace for commissioning through Christ. If you miss it, I'll tell you again. The first one is the great commission, which is for everybody. is God's given mandate through Christ. It's for everybody. Why the, the ministry calling is God's given grace for commissioning through Christ. It is the grace apportioned by Christ. Now, the rest of the time, another 10 minutes, I want to show you what you need as a believer, and that comprises everybody, to grow in the portion of grace. To grow in the portion of grace. We know now that God gives us grace. And we know that Jesus apportions it. And various portions have been given to, to each one. And I cannot envy you because of the portion Jesus gave you. Can I help you understand something? The more portion you are given, the more task attached. 
Are we together now? So if you have a lot of grace, <laughs> look, as I'm with you now, you understand. I'm teaching you. All right? Not only that. For me to teach you every day, I have to read through the things I teach you. And when I finish teaching you, if I say some new things in that teaching, I have to go back to my books and add it. But at the same time, I'm doing my dissertation. And the Lord has warned me that I must not, I must not fail it. He warned me last week. <laughs> Let me tell you, two things, two, two, two things the Lord did for me last, to me last week. It's very strange. I don't drink water. I always ascribe water to Pastor Dapo because he drinks only water. He doesn't drink tea or coffee and stuff and coke and stuff. So I, I stopped drinking coke long ago. So I was doing my own thing and the Lord just spoke to me from the back of my ear. He said, drink water. I said, Lord, <laughs> I've had. <laughs> because when the Lord speaks to you sometimes, you just have complete knowing. There is a statement he made, but the reason why he's saying it and everything, you know it. Then I didn't drink water. The second day he said, I told you, drink water. <laughs> so I said, okay, I will. I took water and drank half bottle. And then the third day I was with the ladies there and the Lord came to me and said, I have told you to drink water. I said, Lord, three times now, I will be drinking water. So I started drinking water. <laughs> Serious, I tell you. <laughs> because he made me understand what can happen to me if I don't drink water regularly. He said really to me when he said the third time, he said you drink the things that you created and you ignore the things I created. And he said what I created is the best for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> really, this morning, now, when I wake up, I first drink a bottle of water now as a practice. So the Lord told me, and I drank water. Then another thing is this. You know now that we're having this program, the Lord showed me on Sunday night that I went to the exam and I did the hard part of the exam. Very well. Got distinction. But the objective, I just scribbled over it and I submitted it. And after I submitted it, I said, why did I submit this thing? I know it. Why don't I do it thoroughly? I said, I hope the lecturer will have mercy. And the Lord told me, there, that you have done the harder one and got distinction. But the lesser one, make sure you do it. That is my dissertation. In my law theories, the, the panel have sat the board and I had distinction in all the subjects. High distinction in some. But this dissertation, they asked me, do I want extension? I said, I don't want extension. Because extension is you know, carry your sorrow over. <laughs> that is extension. So, the Lord had told me that I shouldn't mess up. And because he warned me. <laughs> so, during this period, I'm preparing me the messages for you. Okay? I'm seeing one or two few people. 
to deal with issues. But I'm writing my dissertation, which must be finished by Friday. Someone say, Apostle, how do you cope? To he who much is given. You are wired by God according to grace opportunity. Somebody may look at me and say that, oh, it's a lot. It's not a lot for me. It's not a lot. Because for me, really, if I don't have too much work to do, I feel frustrated. I go and look for something to do somewhere. Because I'm, I'm not, I'm created by God to just always be looking for trouble. I will look for something to, <laughs> to worry me, to read, to do. If I don't have anything to do, I go and read something. But it is not so with everybody. Somebody else, their program, their brain created by God is that they take one thing at a time. Don't add another thing. And that one, they take, they face it. If you add another thing, they can't cope with it. So if you pray for more grace, you are praying for more trouble. More, tr- more job, more work, more trouble, more sleepless nights. If you love your bed, don't pray for more grace. Because, because if you have more grace, it will draw more tasks. And you have to do it. Your body will not permit you not to do it. If you don't do it, you will be sick. Because when the grace is there, the grace has to be released. So you frustrate yourself. So if you are somebody who today you have a headache tomorrow, I don't know why Christians are having a headache anyway. Tomorrow is stomach problem and so Just tell God, the grace you give me, let me use it alone. And when you get rid of this, your headache and stomach pain and uh, back uh, lumbago, then ask for more grace from the Lord. So the nuggets is this, how to grow in grace. Let's see Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Just before this verse 7. More the things you need to do and your grace will develop. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling, the calling you have received. You must consider yourself a prisoner before the Lord. So whatever God commands you, you do it. Sometimes we argue with God, you know. And God is used to children who argue. And one of them, he had to throw him into the sea and allow fish to swallow him. <laughs> because he argued too much. <laughs> he, he made fish his transporter. <laughs> when we reach heaven, there will be a lot of jokes. Because, can you imagine, you will see Job and ask, uh, Jonah and ask him that, can you tell me how, how the executive first class cabin in the fish was? <laughs> All right. So, we must recognize we are prisoners of Christ. So, being a prisoner of Christ, sometimes it will override your pleasure, your pleasure time. Sometimes it will affect your time for yourself because you have to inconvenience yourself so that some other people can be convenient. If you are married, you have to, it will affect your, your relationship sometimes. I would get that now. That is the practical thing. Because a doctor, just doctors who are carnal, human, sometimes if you are on call, you may be the time you want to go to bed and sleep, you go. Isn't it? So if that happens to doctor, it's more to God. You must recognize your prisoner. Now, and second thing is that you must live a life that will honor and respect God. Don't disgrace God. Don't join them to humiliate God. 
The word reverent means dignified. I must maintain the integrity of Christ. Don't join them. That's why you won't see me be collecting money fraudulently, giving people prophecy and collecting money. All those things, are, they are humiliating. They are humiliating. Or announcing that 10 people should give X amount, 100 people should give X amount. It is disgraceful act to the Lord. If people in your church, God raises people who are rich, and you have to collect money for a project, call them and tell them. You don't have to say that how many people will give this, or the number of these people should give X amount. Especially when it is extravagant. I would gather that. When you announce a project on the pulpit, God will minister to the heart of those who will fulfill it. They will come to you and they will do it. Okay? We mustn't humiliate God. Number two, chapter two. Uh, no, verse two, sorry. Now, first one I said, you are a prisoner. Second one I said that you must be well behaved. Okay, don't do anything that will upset or humble God or humiliate God. Three, you must be completely humble. That is number three. Number four, you must be completely gentle. Because the word completely is applicable to the two phrases. Complete humility, complete gentility. And I showed you yesterday from the book of Timothy, a man of God must not quarrel. They mustn't hear that you are the one quarreling here, quarreling there. I mean, the people quarrel outside, we are trying to bring them in so that you can convert them. If you too, you are the quarrel man in the inside, you fight... <laughs> You wrestle this, you wrestle that, you wrestle that. Where they said there's a quarrel between two people, when they will trace it, it you are connected. That, that is not a good thing. Man. For a minister, especially wives and husbands of ministers, completely humble, completely gentle. Let me say this to you on humility. Respect the younger ones, please. Let me, let me say this very very figuratively. You know, in our churches, we have young ones that grew as children and then they are now working class, married and stuff. You cannot talk to them anyhow. You cannot address them less than you address me, who is your father. Are you with me now? Even your children. Those days I call all those children. I call them brother this, sister that. Because some of them now, their offices, if you go there, you'll be scared. And the people who work under them, that they head big organizations, when they work in, everybody respects them. And if they cannot come to church and you are talking, you, you come here. I must not hear that from your mouth, even if you are the pastor. I never said to one of you, you come here. I can't. It is not possible. When people behave like that, I always doubt whether they are born again. But the Lord had told me that they are born again, but they are infants. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, sometimes my regime is not. <laughs> my regime sometimes is, is, is <laughs> when I look at myself, it's hard. The Lord told me that I, I should know that the grace he has given me, he didn't give some people. I since that time I began to be calm. But, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. If I make you a leader, I didn't make you a commander. You have only one commander in safety. It is Apostle Alfred Williams. And yet, I do not command you. I adore you, reason with you, respect you. 
If you don't respect somebody who is a member of your church, and outside you are talking, other people, you want them to respect them. They won't respect them. Because you have, revealed, you have, you have disrespected them to them. Are we together now? We must know that, especially those of you who are older or who are in authority. Are we together? And you must respect one another as colleagues. Honor one another. If you work in a department, if I put a pastor in the department, he's not a pastor there. He's a colleague. While everybody will respect that office, okay, if there's a dispute, if a pastor says, that, okay, enough, everybody must obey. He's there. At that time, he wears the cap of his pastor, though he is in the group. Okay? And no one can, can confront them because if you confront them, you will see my rod too, the one I received from the Father. I will fight the person. But then, therefore, they too cannot be rude to the young deacons or to colleagues in the service. Completely humble and completely gentle. You know, when people who are higher respect the younger, you will get more honor from them. That is the word it is. Um, then be patient. That is number five, isn't it? Be patient. Bearing with one another. Don't be quickly anger, angry because of what somebody had done. Yes. They make every effort to keep the unity of peace, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you fall out with somebody, it is you. The onus is on you to advance for peace, not on the person. Oh, I was angry. He did very bad things. Yes, but you are falling away. Then call him and invite him so that you have peace. You disagree, but you have peace. Because peace doesn't mean I agree with you. Okay? When they say they sign peace contract between nations, do they agree? No. They only decided to agree on the premise that we maintain peace. And if person will do his own thing separately. Because peace doesn't mean that I will now cooperate with you in ungodliness. While I'm in peace with you, I cannot do what is wrong that you are entering into. I can't. You can't take me there. Be at peace. Make every effort to be at peace. Let me see number four. And number, yeah, 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 verse four. All right, verse three, back. I will give you now seven, six. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Yes? Is that a six? Okay. Write down Hebrew 12, 14 and 15. You will discover that your effort is very necessary. If you want to grow in grace, these are the things you must do. That's what I'm telling you. You want to grow in grace. Pray, 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 fast, fast, fast. If you don't do these things, your prayer can't do anything. Your fasting can't do anything. Okay? 
What does it say in that Hebrew? Make every effort to leave. Uh-huh. All right, now let's see. Make every effort. Who is to make it? So it's not subject to the other person. It's subject to you who know. To live in peace with all men, including your neighbors. Don't go and pray in a house that there are many people and be shouting in the night. Your shouting is not what will make your prayer answer and disturb all the neighbors. You don't do that. You don't have to shout for God to hear you. And if you are in a church, they shout in the church. But when you are in the midst of neighbors, you don't go and be hitting the wall. Father, 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 father. That is a bad conduct. Jesus cried and shouted in Gethsemane. In his house, he doesn't do that. The same thing, those of you who have churches, and your churches have people around you, don't put your speaker out and be disturbing them. That is bridge of peace. Of somebody else, they have right to sleep in the afternoon. So if you are doing your program, shut all your doors and lower the vo- microphone is just for people here to hear, not for the people outside there to be disturbed. And if the person you will say that they are, is like, they are, they are attacking Christians, well, why do they attack you when you attack them? I will gather. You must be happy with your neighbor. If somebody complains that our noise is, is disturbing him, he's not an antichrist. He's just a human being that is entitled to his right of tranquility. And because we believe that we want to reach heaven doesn't mean that we should be disturbing the earth. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. The earth is the Lord and the heavens the earth. So why are you disturbing people on earth? And these are the people you want to convert. The moment you come to the earth, you say, get out from here. You, you don't have sense of humor. I don't want to serve this kind of your God. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to what? Be holy. Without holiness, no one shall see God. Without faith, no one can please God. Without holiness, no one can see. So you can please God by faith and yet you don't see Him because you are not holy. Okay? Hebrew 11 is that. For this time, I will read 13 things for you, to you, we close. Don't write this one down because you cannot catch up. Your duty, it will be in your printout. Always make effort to keep the church united in peace. Number two, always be at peace with all men. Number three, quash every backbiting, strife, envy, and jealousy in your church. Number four, rebuke, correct, and instruct in humility. Five, isolate every rebellion before it spreads. Six, do not show favoritism. Be honest to God and good unto all men. Number seven, bear with the, with the weak in your church and do not overburden them. Number eight, commend good works. Encourage good works publicly as example to follow. Tell the whole church, the one who has done good, as an example to follow. Number eight, do not assign people who are not committed and good example to leadership 
it causes strife. When people are useless in church, because they have been in church since the church, before the church was born, doesn't mean you should appoint them as leaders. People who are not committed, people come to prayer, they don't find them. You don't appoint people who are not committed over people who are committed. It causes strife. Number 10, use the humble, committed, and available. Number 11, pray daily for your members. Number 12, encourage every good initiative. And number 13, create an environment for your members to be fulfilled in their grace and gifting. We're going to stop here. I'm sure that you have been blessed by this program. And until next time we come across your path, may the Lord continue to bless you. Put your hands together for the Lord. I'm going to give you now break.